Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. We're going to discuss a subject uh, today that is rarely talked about in the church, but it should be. Church discipline. Church discipline? What does that have to do with anything? What does that got to do with my life? How does that help me in my situation in my life? Church discipline. What happens when a person who professes Jesus as their Savior falls into a willful sin practice? How should the church handle it? Do we pretend we don't know? Do we act like nothing is wrong? Or does the church have an obligation to deal with the situation? Those are some tough questions. Fortunately, God's Word has answers for us. Church discipline helps us to understand the holiness of God. Looking at a passage like we're going to look at can help us to more fully understand the holiness of God, to to understand more fully His character, to understand more fully His, His very nature, to know God better. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk and welcome to 2019. In this first Sunday of 2019, we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 in our series entitled Crossroads. It's a series where we're doing a deep dive into the Apostle Paul's letters to the church in Corinth, a church at the crossroads of the ancient world, especially in the area of commerce. The Apostle Paul had received word that a member of the church in Corinth was engaging in a sinful practice. Not only was the church not dealing with the man and his sin, they seemed to be proud of their actions or lack of action. Entire denominations, churches, in an attempt to communicate the grace of God and the love of God and the mercy of God have done so at the expense of the knowledge of the holiness of God. You see, discussing the holiness of God helps you and I to understand God's expectations on my life. As we will hear in today's message from Pastor Clay, the Apostle Paul doesn't sugarcoat it. He confronts the sin and explains to the church why they must confront it as well. We live in a culture that seems to frown on anyone judging anything. But as we'll see in chapter 5, the church has to judge its own. Church discipline. It's not easy, but it ain't complicated either. Now here's Pastor Clay with today's message. Church discipline? What does that have to do with anything? What does that that got to do with my life? How does that help me in my situation in my life? Church discipline, first, let me say... That it doesn't always have to always be about you. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, it does not always have to always be about you. It does not always have to be about what you think you like or what you think you want to hear or what you think is best. In fact, I'm pretty sure as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to die to ourselves every single day, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. We are called to put other people ahead of ourselves. So maybe you don't think you need to hear anything about church discipline, but maybe somebody else in here does need to hear something about church discipline. It doesn't always have to be about you. Sorry. Having said that, however, second, there is a great amount of profit 
that all of us can gain in this room or watching or listening. There's a great amount of profit that all of us can gain from the subject of church discipline. Because church discipline helps us to understand and in some cases to teach us more fully about the holiness of God. The holiness of God. Again, I, I know that the subject is not necessarily talked uh, a whole lot about, but discussing and looking at a passage of Scripture like we're going to look at today, as we, and we, this, is, this, is not, I mean, this is planned, we've been making our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, right, in our series Crossroads. Looking at a passage like we're going to look at today, a passage that probably may, you may not have read too many times, but looking at a passage like that can help us to, to more fully understand the holiness of God, to, to understand more fully His character, to understand more fully His, His very nature. Discussing the holiness of God helps us to know God better. And tragically, the knowledge, are you listening to me? The knowledge of the holiness of God has all but disappeared on the landscape of our current culture. Entire denominations, churches, in an attempt to, in an attempt to communicate the grace of God and the love of God and the mercy of God have done so at the expense of the knowledge of the holiness of God. And I would argue, and, and listen, not that, obviously the grace of God, the, the, the love of God, the, the mercy of God, obviously those are truths that need to be communicated uh, in our own lives and to the culture around us. But I would argue that you can't actually know or fully understand the grace of God or the love of God or the mercy of God unless you understand the holiness of God. You see, it is His holiness that makes His grace so amazing. It really is. And it can benefit us because discussing the holiness of God helps you and I to understand God's expectations on my life. I think we could all agree in here. If you have, any, if you have a belief in, that, that God exists, I think we could all agree in here that child, teenager, young adult, middle-aged, senior adult, whatever stage of life you are in, I think we could all agree that knowing and understanding God's expectations for your life would be a good thing. It's kind of a big deal to know and understand what God's expectations are on your life. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves. Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am, say it, holy. Peter quoting there from Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, chapter 11, verse 45, chapter 19, verse 2, chapter 20, verse 7, chapter 20, verse 26. The holiness of God and the holiness of his people is a big deal to God. I'm just saying it ought to be a big deal to us. So it is profitable to look at a passage like we are going to look at today. And just for good measure, 
I will give you a third reason. Started to hold up one thing. I will give you a third reason why it's important to look at a passage of Scripture like we're going to look at today. As a pastor called, I am commanded to preach the whole counsel of God to you. The whole counsel of God. First uh, Timothy chapter 4. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. I preached for that passage years ago at the Southeastern Seminary in Chapel. And, uh, I, and I said, I preached from that, that actual passage there in 1 Timothy 4. And I said that the truth is that a lot of churches need to take the, the cross down off their steeple and they need to put a, a gigantic Q-tip up there because it, you know, they're, they're giving people what their itching ears want to hear. Y'all's ears ever itch? Y'all know what I'm saying? The Q-tip? That, oh my goodness, that's good. I understand that our culture has programmed us to, to, to receive or to want what is, what is beneficial to me or what is practical to me or what is most enjoyable to me and to basically disregard the rest. But if we do so, when it comes to the holiness of God, we do so at our own peril. So, as we get started today, I'm going to read you the passage in just a moment. I'm going to read the entire uh, second chapter or fifth chapter of First Corinthians. It's only 13 verses. But I'm going to read the whole thing in just a minute. We won't cover it all today, but I'll read it to you. But I want to start, as, as we do all this, I want to start by giving you a BP squared, what I call a BP squared, a big picture biblical principle, an overall arching idea based on 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Y'all ready? It is this. Church discipline. It's not easy, but it ain't complicated either. It's not easy, but it's not complicated either. Okay? Open your Bibles. If you have a hard copy, if you have a digital copy, your phone, your tablet, whatever the case may be. If you're even old schooling it. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Y'all ready? Remember, there's profit in this. Listen, if you, I know it's 13 verses, but if, if, you're, if you're able, could I ask you to stand this morning as we read God's Word? Oh, we, don't, we don't do that every week, but... This, this is the Word of God. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you. And immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles. That someone has his father's wife. You've become arrogant and have not mourned instead. So that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in the body, but present in the Spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this, as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus." Your boasting is not good. 
Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers, or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But I actually wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother, if he is an immoral person, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Fathers, we uh, dive just a little ways into this chapter today. This is not a subject that, that is talked a lot about. And it, it, like I said in the, in the BP squared, it's not easy. It's not easy to talk about this kind of thing. It's not easy to deal with something like this. But it is clear that, that we must do this. And so I pray for wisdom and discernment. I pray for open hearts to receive the truth of your word. If your word is true, and I absolutely believe that it is, then I have to, I have to mold my thoughts, my feelings, my actions to what you say, not the other way around. And so I pray that each of us would receive this truth this morning and make application to our lives, to the life of this body of believers in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, and be seated. Wow. Wow. Come on, can y'all say that? Wow. wow. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's pretty heavy, right? It's pretty heavy. Chapter. Okay. Now, before we dive into the verses, begin to break all that stuff down and look at it, there are a, a couple, of, uh, couple of ground rules that have to be set before we even begin. There are a couple ground rules that come from the text that have to be set when we're talking about church discipline. Okay? Or when we're talking about discipline and what God's Word has to say in this. They come from this passage of Scripture and we have to establish these ground rules right from the beginning. Okay? All right. Here's the first ground rule that has to be established uh, this morning. The judgment is intended for the people of God, not the people of the world. And by people of the world, I'm not in any way trying to make that sound like a derogatory term or anything. I'm just saying the the people of the world is a way to describe people outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. This judgment is intended for the people of God, not for people outside of a relationship with God. Not for uh, for people outside of a a relationship in, in the church, in the local church. This is for us. It is, it is for one thing to... To try and pass it, let me say this, let me say this first. That does not mean, when I say it's, it's, the judgment is intended for us, not for the world, that does not mean that I uh, cannot or should not stand up in my culture when I have the opportunity and declare what God has said, what, what, what is sin and, and what the consequences of sin are when, when, when asked or when I have the opportunity to do it. It doesn't mean that I have to, to sit down and shut up and, and not say anything about God in my culture. That's, that's not what it means. What it does mean is I cannot judge someone outside of the 
church for their lifestyle or their actions or their decisions, even though I may know that what they're doing is, is uh, sinful, it is not my place to pass judgment on them or to think that, that I'm better than them because I, I, I'm not part of that or, or man, they, uh, they, uh, they're going to they're gonna burn in hell for all of eternity. And it's, it's, not, it's, not my, it's not my job to pass judgment on a person outside the body of Christ for what they are doing in their life. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? For one thing, they just, they just wouldn't care. I said, man, you're, you're, you're going to hell. They don't. For one thing, they wouldn't care. For another thing, they, they wouldn't even understand. What, I don't know, what does that even mean? How, how do you decide that? I, they wouldn't understand. And most importantly, Paul makes it very clear, it's God's business. God is the one that brings that judgment. And, he, and he's very clear that God will bring that judgment. It's all over passages of Scripture everywhere. God will bring judgment. It's sin, whether it's in the church or out of the church, it's sin, and sin will be uh, judged, but it's God's business to do that. Do you understand? So, first ground rule, just remember, when I'm talking about people outside the church, I'm talking about the people in the church, people professing to be believers in Jesus Christ. The second ground rule would be this. This judgment is focused on a professing believer, watch this now, practicing a lifestyle of sin, not an occasional lapse into sin. Listen, here's the truth. All of us sin. This side of eternity, we are not perfect. We will not be perfect. Now, hopefully we sin less and less as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. That would be the desire and the goal. But all of us sin. Maybe, maybe we let a thought linger too long in our mind. Maybe we covet something that, that someone else has. Maybe we uh, treat our, our spouse in, in a way that God does not approve of. Believers can lust, believers can commit sexual sin, believers can uh, curse, believers can uh, uh, gossip, believers can do all kinds of things that God would, would say this is wrong, and thereby that, that makes it sin. They can do all kinds of, of things. As I said, hopefully, less and less as we grow in Christ, but the fact is, none of us are perfect and we do all sin. And if we used what Paul is saying here in in uh, chapter 5, if we use church discipline on every person in the church, every time they, that we found out that they did something, some indiscretion, some mistake, some uh, fall that they had in some way, if we practice church discipline on, on every person, every time we found out something, we'd never have time to do anything else around here. Because we all sin. That's not what he's talking about here. That's not what's going on here. What Paul is talking about is this. The person in the church who is willingly and willfully engaging in a practice on an ongoing basis that God has declared is sinful. That person is continuing in this. Again, we're not talking about just, you know, a, a stumble, a fall, a mistake, a, a, a sin that, that we all do. Now listen, don't get me wrong. I, I'm, not, I'm not downplaying the significance of sin or any sin. I, sin, when it comes into our life, when we commit sin, we should... We should sense the Holy Spirit's conviction in our lives and we should, we should repent of it. We should immediately turn away from it and desire to not go down that path again. Just, God, help me to, to not give in to that direction or that temptation or that thought or that, that whatever. So I'm not downplaying the significance of sin, but what I'm saying is that what Paul is dealing with here in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians is the person who is professing to be a believer in Jesus Christ and they are... Uh, they are actively, willfully, willingly 
persistently, consistently, on an ongoing basis, involved in a sinful practice, in a practice that God has said, this is wrong, don't do this. That is the person, man or woman, that God says, through the Apostle Paul, you've got to deal with it. You've got to do something about it. Okay? So those are the ground rules. Now we're going to start into the first main idea that I want to share with you. And it's the only one we're going to get to today because the other two are lengthy and we'd have to stop in the middle of it. And we'll, uh, if Jesus tarries, we'll, we'll cover them the next time. Uh, so we'll start with this one idea today. And it's this. Sin in the church should bring pain, not pride, to the body of Christ. Sin. Sinful ongoing, willful disobedience, rebellion against the, the, the law of God, the rule of what God has said, don't be engaged in it. This is not good for you. Don't do this. The person that is doing that needs to understand. Sin should bring pain, not pride, to the body of Christ. Let me read verse 1 and 2 again because it's been a couple of minutes for, since I did. Uh, just verse 1 and 2. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you. And immorality of such a kind as does not even exist among the Gentiles. That someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead. So that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. Now we may talk next week a little more about what that all may have mean and may mean for us. But Paul is pretty clear that, that something has to be done. He starts with the very, uh, very strong Greek word, halos, actually. It is actually being reported. The word and the phrase is attempting to convey the idea that Paul is about to say something that he, he almost can't even believe that it's true. But he has apparently received confirmation that it is true. It is actually being reported that there is immorality among you. Among you meaning who? The body. The body of Christ. It is actually being reported that there is immorality among you. The word immorality uh, there is a pornea in, in the original language, in the Greek that it was originally written in. Pornea, you can probably hear in that word, the same root from which we get our word pornography. Pornea came to be associated with or came to mean or refer to any uh, sexual Sin, any, any sin outside the boundaries of God's law, any sinful practice of a sexual nature. That's what pornea ended up being used as. Okay? Any sexual sin outside of, of, of God's design for, for sex. And I'll just go ahead and take this opportunity to remind you, it, it was God's design, it was God's idea. But outside of the boundary from which he, he, he gave it, he's, that, that's pornea. That is, that is a practice that, that God does not approve of. It is sexual sin. Now, uh, sexual sin was certainly nothing new to that culture. Uh, quite frankly, Corinth was the Wild West of that day. I mean, so, so, so sexual sin was, was not necessarily anything new in that culture, but... What's going on here is of such a nature that Paul says even the Gentiles, well, he's referring to people outside of relationship with Jesus Christ in that case. Even the people outside of relationship with, with God, they won't do this one. Even the Wild West Corinthians think that what's going on here is morally reprehensible. 
And that's saying a lot in that Roman culture for them to think, I'm not doing that. Paul says that a man active in the church, whatever all, whether he's, he's teaching, whether he's, he's, act, he's clearly actively in the church, Paul says he, is what, here's the way he puts it, he has his father's wife. That's what he says. Weird. He has his father's wife. Now, let me say this. The awkwardness, and, and, and it's kind of awkward the way, the awkwardness of the way Paul says this, most people, most biblical scholars agree that he's probably referring to the man's stepmother. It's probably his stepmother, although his biological mother cannot be definitively ruled out, as best I can tell. Although it would seem that it would be easier if it was his his biological mother, it seemed like it would be easier for Paul to simply say his mother. But instead he says his father's wife. Now, let me say this. It could be that this is so reprehensible, so taboo, that Paul can't even bring himself under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to even write it. And so he says his his father's wife. That's possible. But most uh, scholars believe that he's talking about his stepmother. But either way, it is sin. Either way, it is an, an adulterous relationship that he is having, an ongoing rela- sexual relationship. He is sleeping with, and by sleeping, I don't mean sleeping. He is sleeping with his father's wife. Maybe, maybe the father was just clueless. Maybe he could, just couldn't even, no, I mean... Okay, I, I've noticed they act a little weird around each other, but no, no, I mean, no. Maybe he's just uh, clueless. Maybe he travels. Maybe he's out of town a lot and he's, just, and he's just gone. But whatever the case may be, this man, this professing believer in Jesus Christ, this one who has asked Christ into his life and claimed that Christ has died for his sins, this man is having an ongoing sexual relationship with his father's wife. And that's not even the worst part. Paul says. That's not even the worst part, as far as Paul's concerned. The worst part is that the church, the body of Christ, his brothers and sisters who love him, have refused to confront the situation. Not only have they refused to confront it, they apparently are proud of it. Paul says you have become arrogant. The word in Greek literally means to be puffed up. They Listen, I'm just telling you, this is a reality for the culture we live in today, too. Maybe not the whole stepmother thing, I don't know. But, but the fact that the church, that oftentimes the church is proud of how, well, we're, we're so open-minded. We're, we're so non-judgmental around here. And Paul is basically saying, are you insane? You have got to get this man out of the church. Now, next week we'll cover why that is and what all was going on, but you've got to be insane. You can't do this. You can't call yourself the body of Christ and just just go on and act like nothing's wrong, hug his neck, shake his hand, say, how's it going, brother? You understand? It's it's a serious nature. It's within the body of Christ, and it has to be dealt with. This has been a number of years ago, but I can remember a few years ago reading this article about a church who uh, discovered that their pastor 
was in an ongoing sexual relationship with a person that was not his wife. He was married, but he, he was having an, an adulterous relationship, ongoing adulterous relationship with uh, another member of the church. The church was split over whether to remove him from the office of pastor or not. Because, apparently, they were open-minded enough to think, well, you know, he still preaches good. People are still coming in the doors. Or they make a good couple. I don't know. I don't know what their thought process was. But I'm telling you, Paul's like, are you crazy? You can't, you can't do this. Not if you're the body of Christ. Not if you love each other and if you love God. You cannot let this go on. The world doesn't even do this stuff. And you're proud of what you're doing. First Peter uh, chapter 4, maybe you've read this before. It is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. I was, I was watching this uh, video recently. Uh, it was a, kind of a split video uh, comparing Joel Osteen's view on judgment and Francis Chan's view on judgment. And Osteen was trying to explain how, you know, they're, they're not a judgmental people and they don't, they don't uh, judge uh, people's actions. And, then, and the, then the video switches to Francis Chan. And Francis Chan says, we, we've got to judge each other. And he makes clear... Again, he's, uh, he must be dealing with this passage. Not people outside the body of Christ, but within the body of Christ, action has to be taken. And, he, and Francis Chan made this statement that I think is very accurate. The other position would say, well, but what about, what about the people out there? If they hear that we're, we're judging each other's sin, if they hear that, that we're calling people out for engaging in a lifestyle that's not, not proper, uh, th- 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 they won't want to have anything to do with the church. Francis Chan made this uh, statement. I'm paraphrasing however he said it. He said, I believe that's absolutely wrong. I believe that the, the world is waiting for the church to judge itself. I believe the world is waiting for the people within the church to get their act together and to say, be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. Walk as he would have us walk. Not in perfection, we're not there. We want, we, we're not there. But to live a life in, according to the standard that he would want us to live our lives uh, to. I, I think the world wants to see the church be serious because, because there's, and we've all heard it, to people we've tried to invite, there's hypocrisy within the church. I had a guy one time I was trying to invite to church and... Uh, uh, he uh, engaged in this conversation with him, and he said, uh, he, he said, your pastor so-and-so. I said, yeah, that's right. And he said, so-and-so. It's all them so-and-so people again. So-and-so. He goes to your church, doesn't he? I said, yeah, he does. Uh, he's a deacon in your church, doesn't he? I said, yes, he is. He said, I'll never go to your church. He said, I work with that guy. I've seen how he acts when he's not in those doors. See, it's time for judgment to begin with the house of God. Now, listen. Let me say this, and we're going to just going to kind of go into a time of prayer. Jesus lays out in uh, the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18, uh, Jesus lays out the, basically the guidelines, the structure for how church discipline should be done. There's kind of a process that's laid out there. But it starts right here. It starts with mourning over something that we find out is going on in someone's life. It starts with feeling pain over the fact that a brother or sister in Christ has allowed something to come into their life that is hindering their fellowship with the Lord God and should be hindering their fellowship even with the body of Christ. We shouldn't be proud. We shouldn't be open-minded. We should be who God has called us to be. Sin in the church should cause pain, not pride.
Now, I, I'm going to I want to go into a time of prayer here in just just a minute. And the praise team's going to come, and we're going to have an altar call like we like we normally do. But I, I just want to I want to say this morning. I'm going to take a few few minutes, and we're just going to have a time of of prayer. Maybe there's something in your life that you've allowed to go on, and the Spirit of God is hammering you about it right now. You know it's wrong. Maybe you know somebody who professes to be a follower of Jesus Christ and they're engaged in some practice that God says, don't do that, that's not for your good. Maybe, you know, maybe, it's, a, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a, a co-worker, maybe it's, but it's somebody that you know that's, that claims to be a believer in Christ, but they're not living that life. Maybe you just want to pray for them today. As we're starting 2019, as you're starting your new year, I can't think of a better way to start it than by praying, for praying for this church, that this church would be what God would desire for this church to be. That all churches would be what God desires them to be. That the people of God would recognize that we are not perfect. But when we allow sin to come into our life and it turns into some ongoing thing, we need to be, we need to be sensitive to the Spirit of God and we, need to be, and we need to receive a brother or sister that comes to us and says, Listen, I love you, but I've seen this or I, I've heard this or, or you mentioned this. Is, this. is this what's going on in your life? Instead of getting angry... We need to be broken and said, yes, that's, that's going on in my life. Would you forgive me? And allow God's Spirit to work. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. Rather than mourning this man's sin, the church seemed proud that they were so open-minded. But as Pastor Clay explained today, what they had really done was open the door to sin. The church today, just as the church in Paul's day, has to deal with sin within the church for the sinner's good and for the good of the church. God takes sin seriously, especially when it is in the life of a person who claims to be his child. As Pastor Clay said, church discipline may not be easy, but it's not complicated either. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere to celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross-culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about a relationship, a community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person, real people who truly care, solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens, and the most energetic, fun, and safe kids program around. Find out more at crossculture.church. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.